What's going on guys? We are breaking down the bees. Bellator 264 coming from Upkinsville, Connecticut, one of their uh, famous stomping grounds. And yes, this week, not just on the regular CJ MMA channel, we are on Pat Mayo Media Network. And uh, yeah, great for them branching off. I know there's no UFC this week. So uh, DraftKings Sportsbook, again, I always mention how great they've been to us. They want to continue the content. So we've decided to do the Bellator preview over there. Kind of a light card, only nine fights altogether, and not Bellator's finest offering. But with Bellator, there's always a clear narrative. They always want one guy to win. And while the other guy's actually fighting on a one-fight deal, and will probably be somewhere else for his next fight. So, I mean, we kind of follow that clear narrative. The thing is, are all the favorites going to win? Probably not. So which ones have the highest likelihood of shitting in our apple pie? Let's get them at the bottom. The confident plays at the top. Parlay a few of them together. Get some even money. Get some plus money. And it'll be a good event altogether. So normally we start at the prelims and we work our way up, but because it's Bellator, nobody gives a shit about the prelims. We'll be doing the reverse order, starting from the main event and going on down from there. We got Gegard Musasi, John Salter, five round main event, for the 185 pound title. Listen, Gegard Musasi is super legit. I mean, he's one of the finest talents in the world. The guy can do it all. He can strike. He's got an excellent submission game. Uh, his wrestling has come a long way. He's got good cardio. He's got championship experience. He is cast iron, knocking this guy out. My God, good luck. I mean, I know Uriah Hall did it, the flying knee once upon a time, but that's the kind of shit it takes to knock out Gegard Musasi. I mean, there's been a likeness to Fedor Emelianenko for a long time, both super experienced, both super seasoned, both absolute just stone cold killers in there, emotionless. And yet they've got a plethora of skills. If there was one knock on him, because we always got to find how is this guy going to potentially shit in the pie, it's that he's 36 years old, right? At 36, maybe his skills starting to regress a little bit. Maybe his, uh, his readiness to fight, his willingness to fight, his desire to fight, injuries are starting to pile up. Just that's the unknown. But luckily for him in this matchup, John Salter, also 36 years old. So yeah, what don't we like about Gegard Musasi? Again, if you look at his recent run, especially under the Bellator banner, it's been nearly flawless. He does have one loss to Rafael Lovato Jr. And debatable loss. I mean, it's a majority decision, but very strong argument that Gegard Musasi won that fight. This is one of the few guys that got released from the UFC on a run. Like Bellator has a tendency to sign a lot of these guys that are coming off losses, whether it be a Gilbert Melendez, whether it be a Josh Thompson, whether it be a Josh Koscheck, whether it be a Leoto Machida. They tend to, you know, Chael Sun, and the list goes on and on, really. But when they sign guys, it's almost always they've got a name and they're at the tail end of their career. When he was in the UFC, he was coming off a five-fight winning streak. He knocked out Tiago Santos, the UFC 200. He knocked out Vitor Belfort, a known star. He got his revenge over Uriah Hall, just murdering him in the first round. He beat Chris Weidman with the, those knees from the clench. Like, my God, just like a devastating knockout. And then walks and goes to Bellator. So we've got a premier talent, not just got a guy that's washed. And as far as fighting in Bellator, it's lesser competition, but he still managed to win over, you know, I, I guess Flamenco is a former champion. Rafael Carvalho is a former champion. Roy McDonald's a former champion, but he's a welterweight. Should have won that Rafael Lovato Jr. fight. Beat Leo Machida. Beat Douglas Lima. It's the best guys Bellator has to offer. I still think he's got something left in the tank. Flip side to that, John Salter. He's pretty much just the only guy. See, that's the problem with Bellator as opposed to the UFC. They just don't have the actual roster. So now that he's pretty much washed out, the, all of the former champions within the division and even took in a super fight, two super fights. He fought Roy McDonald and Douglas Lima. Like, what is there left for him? And so that's why they're drumming up John Salter in the spot coming in. And uh, Salter is, he actually does represent the one weakness 
outside of, you know, what are we talking about, ages of weakness. But the one weakness that Gegard Mousasi could potentially have in theory is his ground game. Not his ground game in terms of his grappling, but his takedown defense. I mean, we've seen guys like King Mo back in the day. They were able to take him down. They were able to control him. The problem there is that he spent so much time working on his wrestling to fill that hole. He's actually a pretty fine wrestler now himself. And, and I don't think that John Salter is going to be able to continuously get the fight to the ground. If he does get it to the ground, fair. You know, he'll get it to the ground early. And I don't think he's got the submission game to submit Gegard Musasi early. So, therefore, this thing's going to start going into those later rounds. Gegard is going to start hopefully stuffing the takedown attempts, keep this fight standing. He's got better cardio. He's got, you know, better endurance. He's got better striking. Uh, and if he stuffs these takedowns, he's going to make it very difficult for John Salter. And, again, John Salter is a fine talent himself. But he was a guy that washed out of the UFC on the basis of a very poor run. And when he came over to Bellator, again, he's excellent, excellent resume in terms of wins, but Claudio Anisciaro, Jason Ratcliffe, Chidi Njaquani, the lesser talented of the Njaquani brothers, Castinas is not bad, but he's a no-name fighter. Andrew Capel, you know, Andrew Capel is definitely a no-name fighter. And uh, and again, it takes him three rounds to take Capel out of there. This is not a good spot for him. This fight wouldn't be other otherwise being made other than Bellator needs a headliner. This is a pretty soft-looking card altogether. Musashi is coming off a near year-long layoff, so let's bring him back into the market with hopefully a nice, spectacular win. And we don't really have anybody else to challenge right now. John Salter is eager, wants the fight, give it to him. Odds reflect pretty much exactly what I'm telling you. You've got Gegard Musashi as a minus 300 favorite. Come back on John Salter at plus 230. But again, I mean, this is going to be a top-ticket parlay piece uh, simply because it is the main event, so we can always hedge out, uh, assuming we're going to get that far. But also, listen, he's 3-1 to one for a reason. I mean, he's got the championship back class. He's the champion within the division. He's got the superior skill set. And even though John Salter has done an excellent job of reinventing himself in the Bellator promotion, in this particular matchup, he seems to be outgunned. And so we got to go with Musashi to retain. But we will hopefully have that hedge out option if we want to take it. Moving on to the co-main event. <clears throat> I believe the co-main event is listed. It is, yeah, Andre Korshkov versus Saba Hamasi. So we've got another guy in Andre Korshkov who is a former champion within the division. He was the welterweight champ for the promotion. And listen, this guy's been pretty much a, a very solid talent his entire career. He started off 14-0, picked up very solid wins. Lyman Good, Mary Zoromskis, Jordan Smith, Derek Krantz, Casey Uscola, who's now uh, in jail for good reason. It was a pretty solid run until he runs into Ben Askren. No problem. Ben Askren in those days was an absolute problem for people. He rebounds, six-fight winning streak, beat, Doug's, beat Douglas Lima to win the title, defends against Benson Henderson, just crushes him. This guy's looking at the top of his game. Loses the second the rematch to Douglas Lima, loses the trilogy match to Douglas Lima, and then had a split decision loss to Lorenz Larkin. That's kind of created this perception that like he's just not elite anymore. He's not, he's not that good anymore. But he's only 30 years old. This is officially his first time fighting for Bellator since the, the Lorenz Larkin fight, which is two years ago. But he has had a tune-up fight in Russia six months ago, won by first-round armbar, looked good doing so. Again, he's still only 30. I would reckon that he probably had some nagging injuries. The guy's got a lot of experience for his age as well. So maybe a little bit of time off would have would have done him some good. He's still an elite-level guy, and I think that he's still got very strong durability. Listen, Lorenz Larkin is a is, is a high-level fighter. You know, He's an, he's an elite-level competitor. It's a close split decision loss to him. The two losses to Douglas Lima, again, that's the former champion. And up until he got recently exposed, I guess, uh, was looking like someone that could easily go over to the UFC and do a lot of damage in their weight class as well. So uh, they're not shameful losses. That's what happens when you compete against the elite of the elite. And this fight with Saba Hamasi, he's not taking on anything near the elite of the elite. But Saba Hamasi still is dangerous. He can get you sleeping. He can get you off guard. He always shows up in great shape physically, not cardiovascular-wise. But, like, the dude's a former male stripper. You don't just show up fat and, and sloppy on the stage now, do you? No. You show up ripped up, and he does show up ripped up. He's got heavy, heavy hands. He trains at American Top Team. He's been at American Top Team for 
well over a decade now. So you know he's routinely grinding in there with some of the best guys in the world. Just he himself is enhancement talent. He's brought in into the gym, you know, to give you guys rounds, to uh, build up confidence. And as far as his Bellator run goes, you give him a mid-level guy, eh, I don't know. I shouldn't say mid-level guy. He himself is a mid-level guy. But he is capable of going out there and performing great feats because he's a one-round guy. And the pressure that he brings to you in that one round is huge. He's kind of reinvented himself ever so slightly the last number. the We'll start with the Curtis Millinder fight, which, you know, it's just last year, last August, so one year ago. He goes to a wrestling-heavy game plan. Hadn't really seen that from him very often, but Curtis Millinder absolutely cannot wrestle. So Saba Hamasi shows off some good ring IQ, takes it to the wrestling, takes him down, grinds him. His cardio looked a little bit improved. His wrestling looked much improved, but he took the path of least resistance. The Bobby Volker fight, Volker's in his 40s, very stiff, very rigid. Gets a knockout there, as expected. It's that Paul Semtex Daly fight. Is Semtex over the hill? Is Paul Daly done with? Paul Daly is still a vicious striker, you know, a guy that probably is past his best days, but is still capable of going out there and pulling off some 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 big, devastating KOs. Sabo Hamasi was all over him. This thing would have been a 10-8 round. He routes Paul Daly. The ref's looking at it multiple times. Sabo's looking as good as ever. He came into that fight on a four-fight winning streak. He knocks out Paul Daly in the first round of that last fight, runs it to five straight. Are we not looking at this guy as a serious contender? He does have legitimate skills, but then there's that one kryptonite in his game. Paul Daly survived the first round. And in the second, Saba's tired. He blew his load in the first. You know, he went for the kill. He thought he had Daly out of there. He got antsy in the pants. He tried to get the finish. And as soon as that finish didn't materialize, he gasses out huge. And in return gets knocked out in the second round by Paul Daly, who, as he mentioned, still capable of pulling off a little bit of magic. I think Andre Korshkov is just too durable to get knocked out in the first round by Saba Hamasi. And once Saba starts to slow down, he himself should be able to work his way back into this. He's got decent enough striking, but it's more of a grind. You know, if he can start forcing the takedowns on Saba, take Saba down, he'll be able to have a lot of success. He's also got a decent leg kick on him as well. I think that's a good game plan with Saba because he's so wild, so aggressive. You don't want to throw them early because he's going to look to counter off that. But once he starts to slow down a little bit, he's going to start becoming a mobile. You chop that lead leg, he'll just be stationary. Once he's stationary, Korshkov should be able to go out there and have his way with him. Again, looking at the lines, I'm not telling anything. The lines maker is basically not insinuating himself. They've got uh, Andre Korshkov as a minus 410 favorite. Come back and Saba Hamasi plus 300. When you compare that to the main event, you know, Gegar's world class and pretty much has Salter beat all over, and he's a 3-1. to one. In this fight with Korshkov, yeah, he, he's got him out class. He's got him beat everywhere. But Saba at least presents that what if, what if he lets his hands go in the first round, what if he clips him. But I would reckon that the difference between Saba Hamasi and Douglas Lima in the striking department is pretty big. And again, at 30 years old, he's not washed. It's not like he's having a full two-year-long lamp. He just came back six months ago in Russia. So the ring rush shouldn't be as apparent. And again, he's a guy that's fought five rounds. So that cardio advantage in a three-round fight will be great against a guy like Saba Hamasi who, listen, what's a stripper set? You know, five minutes at the most, you get up there and shake it. Even a private lap dance, five five minutes, that could be like five songs. At 20 bucks a song, $100? $100? Who's paying Saba Hamasi $100? So in the club, he's not dancing for a half hour. It's not like he's built to go long time. He's built to go short periods of time. And, and again, I think beyond a, a decent first round, Korshkov should be able to pull over. So I'm a little bit hesitant on Andre Korshkov as a top ticket play, but he's he's going to be up there, let's face it. Magomed Magomedov versus Rafian Stotts. You got Magomed Magomedov. Everybody should know his story by now. 18 and one, and he is the only man to cleanly defeat Peter Jan when you consider the Aljamain Sterling fight is what it is. Uh, he, he's a stud in every aspect of the, of the word. And again, he's coming in as a minus 460 favorite over Rafael Stotts, who's plus th 330. Rafael Stotts is, uh, 
he's da- he's dangerous in that he can wrestle, right? Magomed Magomedov wants to you know grind on him a little bit. Rafael Stas should be able to snuff that out. He himself likes to grind guys up against the cage. Maybe he has some success some success there. For me, it's like his lack of finishing ability is going to be his detriment here. Is that he can have small spots of wrestling success or grinding success. But his striking doesn't have enough power to really get Magomedov's attention. And his submission game is not good enough to catch Magomedov in something in transition. The thing with Magomed Magomedov is that he just doesn't stop. He just keeps coming at you for the entirety of the fight. And he's one of these Russians that can, in fact, do it all. He can strike. He can wrestle. He's got five-round cardio. He's got a big public backing behind him. Uh, he's 18-1 and one for a reason. And, again, you look at those 18 wins, and you can make the argument like everybody else, you know, well, it's soft. Russian competition, but he beat Peter Yan the first time, split decision in a five-round fight. And I I encourage you to go back and watch that fight because it is an absolute delight, fight of the year as far as I'm concerned. You see how advanced this guy's skill set is, five hard rounds of Peter Yan, and then two fights later he loses to Peter Yan, a unanimous decision in the rematch, a five-round rematch. The guy's pretty dope. I mean, there's no reason he shouldn't be in the UFC. Bellator beat him with a punch. They've signed him up. And uh, I see him doing some pretty big things within their organization. His debut officially for Bellator was in uh, Matus Matos and not probably as good as a debut as we would have liked to have seen, considering, you know, he came in as a minus 370 favorite. <clears throat> he had Matus out gun. Fight goes a distance. But you see his wrestling on point. You see his cardio's on point. And that fight with CJ Hamilton, I mean, rocks him in the first round, rocks him in the second round, chokes him out with a rear naked choke. Much better performance from him. Still improving all the time out. He's 29 years old. You know, Dagestani fighter, his name's physically Magomed Magomedov. You want to bet against him? Yeah, not me. Rafael Stotts, again, it, it's no discredit to him. I just think that the way he matches up in this particular fight is not going to go extremely well. He's more of a decision guy. And when you look at his list of competitive, uh, of opponents, Josh Hill, Keith Lee, they're his size, if not a little bit smaller, and they represent the same the same styles you know keith lee the younger brother of kevin lee from the ufc he's definitely a lot smaller he's fought at 125 pounds and does come from this wrestling boxing background rafael Stott's better wrestler better boxer snuffs him out wins a decision him versus josh hill can is josh hill he's obviously a better wrestler right he's a slightly better striker maybe not even a better striker but he pushes him up against the cage that that's not on the table here against magomedov you know holding him up against the cage probably not going to have enough success beyond a minute or two of the round as far as the striking goes, yeah, I think he's got him beat. Magomedov's got him beat in that department as well. As far as the cardio goes, again, it's only a three-round fight. <laughs> this dude's been going five rounds at a high level with Peter Yawn. So Bellator knows what they're doing. They're building this guy up. He's probably only this fight and then within a fight or two away from a title shot, one would assume. And, uh, yeah, the only reason he signed with Bellator as opposed to going to a UFC is because they're giving him good money. So they're not going to kill a whole lot of time. But uh, in the meantime, he will pick off some decent wins like this, and I think that he's got Rafael Stotts' number. So uh, even though it is a big price tag, and I will admit it is a fairly big price tag, uh, you got to pay to play. That's one of those situations. Davion Franklin versus Everett Cummings. Uh, two thir- minus 235 for Davion Franklin, plus 188 versus Everett Cummings. Everett Cummings at least looks interesting as far as like a straight-up dog play because he's 15-0. and 0. Like what? How many guys in MMA are 15-0? and 0? How many guys are 15-0 and 0, taking on a guy that are 3-0 and 0, and they're coming in as a plus 188 underdog? And that's pretty much the story of this one. Like, it's a super salty 15-0. and 0. Almost a disrespectful 15-0. and 0. He actually went 5-0 as an amateur, right? Those opponents were 0-0, oh, 0-0, 3-1, 0-0, 0-0. Three of those five guys, the 0-0s, never fought again. So it's like not only were they bums at the time, they just weren't even real fighters. His pro career, he kicks it off with a 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0
0 and 0, 0 and 0, 0 and 1. At least the guy had fought previously. 0 and 1, 3 and 4, 2 and 1, 7 and 16, 12 and 7, 2 and 8, 0 and 5, 9 and 11, 7 and 4. The 7 and 4 Ben Beeb is for Bellator, and it's in 2018. So he would have come into Bellator with a 12 and 0 record, knocked out Ben Beebe in two minutes and 12 seconds into the first round. We've got an undefeated heavyweight, the nice looking record, and Bellator didn't even care to bring him back. He fought twice more since then in 2018, picked up a no contest because uh, of downward elbows, and he picked up a win over this son Davis by rear naked choke in the second round. So you can say he's 15 and 0, but you could also say he's 3, 3 and 0, 4 and 0, like, you know of guys with winning records, of guys that actually had a pulse that were going to fight back. He has defeated them, but not great. You can see his last fight online versus Son Davis for Gladiator Challenge against another one of these low-level outdoor events. He's got the guy outsized, but he doesn't look particularly good. In the first round, he does get the takedown, ends up on top, looks for a, looks to put his hooks in, take the back, and it's just super sloppy, man. This Son Davis guy just turns into him, ends up on top. And when Son Davis is on top, this kid does. Not, I mean, Everett Cummins off his back, he, he does nothing. Not a guy does anything. But Everett Cummins basically just lies there and accepts it. The, he does not create any space. He doesn't shrimp. He's got no hip movement. Uh, it's not It's not good. And again, he's taking on a very low-level guy in Sun Davis, so not, not good. Second round, he comes out. He is the fresher of the two guys. This time, he does end up on top. And once he ends up on top, he eventually does get both hooks in and grab that same rear naked choke. But it was some sloppy work for a guy that would have been 14-0 and 0 at the time. Uh, has had a winning streak going back to his amateur career since 2010. He hasn't lost a fight in 11 years. And with his amateur career and his poker, he's on 20 fights in a row. And yet he's making rookie mistakes on a low-level show against nobody. How is it that no promotion ever came calling for this guy? How is it that LFA never came? How is it that, you know, the contender series never came? How, how is it that quite literally nobody has given a shit about this guy? He's just And he's in California. He's just spending it. On, a low, on the lowest of the low, taking the lowest of the low fights. Did fight once for Bellator, won, and they didn't even bring, bother to bring him back. So now they're bringing him back here, and the clear narrative is to feed him to Davion Franklin because, you know what, got a 15-0 record. Looks good. Going to be undersized in this matchup, and I think he's going to have a lot of problems with Davion Franklin. Now, Franklin is green, right? He should be fighting a guy that's got 15 pro fights, but considering the majority of those 15 pro fights weren't kind of real fights, yeah, I guess I suppose you could throw him in there with a guy of this likes. Davion Frank Franklin was a junior college um, national tournament qualifier. He also eventually transferred over to a D2 program and played collegiate football as well. So he can wrestle. He was a football player. He's a good enough athlete. Transitions over to MMA, and he wins this like scholarship. Essentially, he's at Greg Jackson's camp, um, one of John Jones' training partners. John Jones has got a lot of positive things to say about this guy. Great athlete, solid wrestler, great work ethic, <clears throat> and he wins this like this like contract thing. It's like a sponsorship where Bellator gives you some money. Jackson gives you some money. You train full time and you fight with Bellator. So he makes his pro debut for Bellator beats JW Kaiser first round ground and pound. If you know JW Kaiser, you know what's up, but it was an effortless win. No problem. That second fight with Ras Hilton, it went the full thing really go the full three rounds. It's a technical decision, but the judges awarded him 30, 27. Again, he didn't look great in that fight, but at least it showed that he could go a few rounds. I don't want a guy that's a one rounder. Because, again, with Everett Cummings, I mean, how did he win his last fight? Didn't look in the first round, but he came out for the second round, had some gas in the tank. If Franklin comes out here and gets tired after that first round of work, comes into the second, well, now all of a sudden, dog's got a shot. But at least in that Ross Hilton fight, he shows that he could go a few rounds, even though when he was fatiguing, he was only 2-0 at the time, growing experience, back to the gym, 
back to making improvements. And then his third fight with Bellator, they gave him Tyler King, who again has 20 pro fights, fought in the UFC, or fought in the Ultimate Fighter, fought a couple big name opponents around the world, former collegiate football player as well, has big time experience. He's awful, man, awful. Looks like Bambi's mama on ice. Like his legs are just, he's been knocked out seven or eight times in his pro career and like bad knockouts, usually in under two minutes. But the way he stands, head right up in the air, no athleticism for a football player. Uh, it's a foregone conclusion that he beats a guy like that. So there's not much I can take away from that fight. I would have liked to have seen him fight another one where he had to go a few rounds just to ensure the cardio is on point. But uh, we're going to have to take a flyer and assume that it very much is. When you look at so far on this card, we got a lot of big favorites, right? Musasi's a 3-1. to Korshkov's a minus 4-10. Magomedov's a minus 4-60. Davion Franklin at minus 235. Because he's a lot greener, there's more of that unknown. But at least it's more of a playable line. And when you, we do parlay some of these together, that's something. Even at minus 235, at least help juice it up, right? So Franklin is a legitimate prospect out of the legitimate camp. 3-0, building it up the right way. Collegiate wrestling background, collegiate football background versus a guy in Everett Cummins who there's a very good reason why he hasn't been on anybody's radar. And uh, I, I would say this this is the reason, right? They're going to use him as a feeder opponent. That's exactly what they're doing. Moving on, we have Ty Gwerder versus uh, Kazmorat Bastayev. The price is big in my opinion. Ty, Ty Gwerder at minus 260, Gaz, uh, Kazmorat Bastayev at plus 205. So... This one could be a trap line. Definitely feels a little bit dangerous to me. The reason why Bastaev is such a big underdog is for a guy that has a menacing-sounding name. <laughs> he's not your typical Russian fighter. First of all, he's six foot six and he stands all of it. Like his head is straight up in the air. He's got a very bad tall man defense, and it is to his detriment. Whereas a lot of these Russian fighters train out of Dagestan or Chechnya, or they make the big move to one of these, you know, big Russian camps, or or they leave Russia. They almost always go to American Kickboxing Academy or American Tompy. No, in his case, he ends up in Nebraska, spends a little time in California. Again, he's not your typical Russian, right? And then, yeah, he, he took the same route that we saw with Everett Cummins. I mean, his debut, 0-0, next fight, 0-0, 0-0, 3-1, comes over to America, loses to a 16-10 opponent, and then goes back to 3-9. 1-0, 0-0. Now, when he does take step-ups, he gets knocked out. And that's the other reason why he's a big underdog here. Mikey Gomez choked him out in the second. But then when he fought Alonzo, Men Alonzo Menafield, now in the UFC, Menafield was 2-0 at the time versus an 8-1 Bastafayev. And uh, he beat some four minutes into the first round when Bastafayev's eyes messed. And then they called it. Next fight against Blake Troop. Dude, 6-5. and five. This is a very winnable fight for Bastafayev. No, he gets knocked out two minutes and 11 seconds into the first round of an LFA fight. Again, got caught, didn't look good. He eventually made it on the Contender Series. That's his, act, that's his last fight. It's against Phil Hawes, most recent one, and it was just about a year ago. And he starts off okay in the sense that he's throwing, he's throwing some kicks, he's throwing some punches, he's trying to mix it up. But one, not only is his chin way up in the air and it's just easy money for Phil Hawes, his lead leg just doesn't move. It's planted, and Phil Hawes torches it. This thing only goes on for a minute and 18 seconds. And in that minute, 18 seconds, he gets clobbered with an overhand right, has his lead leg completely kicked out from under him, and then he gets dropped and knocked out by the second overhand right that lands. And uh, that's the performance. This is now the third time he's been knocked out. All three of those times were in the first round. And he had previously been submitted in the second round of his other fight. These are his fights. Last fight, first round, Phil Hawes. One before that, two minute, 10 seconds, first round. Before that, 53 seconds, first round. Before that, two minutes, 11, first round. Four minutes and one second, first round. 38 seconds, first round. 32 seconds of the first round. 
20 seconds of the first round. And that Mikey Gomez fight when he got choked out second round, that was six years ago. That was the last time he got out of the first round. So, like, massive, massive red flags left, right, and center. Can't take a punch. Has terrible defense. Probably is a one-round fighter. Not training out of a scary Russian gym. You don't want no part of this guy. But here's the thing. Because we can say all that negative shit about him, it's very, it's reflective in the line. And it's like you're overlooking him. And you're, you're I, I run into this issue a lot. It's on the UFC side of things, right? It's not that one guy's a three-to-one favorite because he's so good. One guy's a three-to-one favorite because the other guy's just real bad. But that doesn't make fighter A good. And so now you need to pay a three-to-one price tag on a guy who's just not that good. And that's what we have in Ty Gwerder. Not saying he couldn't be good, but currently at this point in time, minus 260 feels like just a little bit too steep. So what's positive about him? Well, he's only 26 years old. He's making improvements. He's full-time out of um, Las Vegas, Extreme Couture. He's got some of the best training partners in the game. He's grinding routinely day in and day out. His top, his head coach is Eric Nixick, who, as you see, is just lighting the world on fire right now, You know, training some of the best guys. He also gets some striking with Ray Cepho. He's going to have solid career opportunities. He uh, starts off his career solid enough, 4-0, right? But then he runs into this Joseph Creer at Bellator. Creer's a, you know, a pretty stout grappler, and you know he's able to take him down, control him for the most part, and win the decision. Fair enough. His next, next fight against George Tokos, uh, good performance, wins the first two rounds, comes on strong in the third. He had hit Tokos with some hard shots. Tokos, Tokos. Tokos never really went down. In the third round, he eventually cracks the code, beats him, and then they throw him in there like less than two months later, like five or six weeks later, they throw him in there with Dalton Rosa. Now, if you know me, I love me some Dalton Rosa. The guy is built like a brick shithouse. His striking is coming along, work in progress, but big, big heavy hands on him, solid wrestler, um, good cardio. Seems like he's a pretty durable guy, just desire to win. Yeah, huge fan of his work. And in that fight, I mean, yeah, he just got taken down routinely. He's a southpaw, tricky enough southpaw. But uh, once Rosa decides, I don't want to strike with him anymore, he just takes him down, no problem. What I will give this kid, Gwerder, is that, one, he kept working his way back up, you know, never quit on himself. Two, Rosa did land a couple of heavy right hands on the chin, and he's able to take it. And again, this is another fight that's gone three rounds. See, that's the difference between him and Bastayev. Because Bastayev, all these fights are first rounds, and this kid went three rounds of career. He finished Torcos in the third. He went three rounds with Dalton Rosta. So, yeah, uh, if this was a live betting opportunity, even if he didn't start off well, the narrative is that he's going to come back and win the second or third. And I could buy into that. But realistically, he's one and two, or he's, yeah, he's one and two in Bellator. He's still only 26, coming off a loss. Doesn't look like he has any X factors to his game. Doesn't have an advanced or refined skill set. It's still young. And Bastafa has at least fought in some good guys. Manifield's in the UFC now. You know what I mean? Um, Phil Haas is in the UFC now. Keeps costing me money, goddamn Phil Haas. At least he's fought a higher level of competition and uh, has the experience. He's also six foot six, which is super tricky. If this kid can't figure out the range and he just stands back and doesn't utilize those leg kicks properly, who knows? Han Bastayev is also coming off a year-long layoff, so he probably didn't shore up any of the mistakes in this game. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he probably made any adjustment, but you know, you never know. So minus 260, I can't tell you that we're going to take a dog shot on Bastayev here. I can't. What I am going to tell you is even though this guy's minus 260, Ty Gwerder, he's going to be on the low end of these PRPs because I just have a bad feeling that he's overvalued. And uh, if that was a potential apple pie shitter, you know, we, we don't want to be too heavy into it. So that's kind of my thoughts on Ty Gwerder. And of course, before we continue, we've got to get to everybody's favorite read because as I mentioned, none of this made possible without our great friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So go over there and check them out. 
And uh, honestly, I think you're going to be very happy with what you see. Everyone's favorite time of year is right around the corner. College football season. To celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook, is now putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. Take advantage of this limited-time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more. Any college football game, it does not matter. Head over to DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Check out all the great promotions and daily odds that they are offering. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, reliable, located right in the United States, so it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code DOP to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet or more on any college football game. That's promo code DOP to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Remember, you must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for deep details. Gambling prom, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Moving on, we got Pam Bam Sorensen taking on Roberto Samad. Uh, you know, maybe this one's kind of, I can't say it's a trap line because it's only minus 146 Pam Sorensen. It's just, it's hard to get the best read on it. Pam Sorensen at her best, big fan of her work. I mean, grinder, solid size for the weight class, uh, good durability. I wouldn't say five-round cardio, but can push a decent enough pace for three rounds and uh, has high-level experience to her name. Um, beyond a, a decent 5-1 amateur career, only lost to Amber Lybrock. You got a, a na- named opponent, right? In her second pro fight, she beats Nico Montana, who then technically, very technically, went on to win a UFC title. Loses to Shana Young, went on to the UFC. Brenda Gonzalez, solid. Jesse Jess Rose Clark, went to the UFC. Indiana Gomez, very solid. Felicia Spencer, went to the UFC. Caitlin Young, pioneer of the sport. So she's mixed it up with a very solid level of competition. She's also, again, like I said, decent for decent size for this weight class, having competed the majority of her career at 145 pounds. Uh, when she was Invictus, she was solid. And I believe she is, I, I, I would say currently is the featherweight champion over there. She won her last fight against Caitlin Young for the 145-pound title. COVID happened. She wasn't able to get a fight all of 2020. And now we're in 2021. So quietly, she's kind of lost out on nearly two years of her career. And those two years have moved her from 33 to 35 so will that be a problem it could be will she start to show signs of regression again could be it's all that's a little bit worrisome but what we have seen from her is that she's got excellent top control heavy heavy when she's on top decent enough wrestling can grind through the pocket that should all yield a lot of success against roberto rovell uh roberto rovell yeah she's she's 33 years old don't know a ton about her because she starts her pro career in 2013 that's eight years ago now eight years ago she wins in the first round against an oh no opponent. Follows it up beating an oh no opponent. Follows it up by beating an oh no opponent. Follows it up by beating an oh no opponent. So she's 4 0, and that's the duration of one year, 2013 to 2014. In 2015, she signs a Bellator. She fought once for Bellator, fighting Julia Budd, and Julia Budd beat her. Julia Budd's another similar to Pam Sorensen, big physical girl, is a natural 145 pound fighter, and can just grind on you and get those takedowns when need be. So there is a path of victory, at least there, for Sorensen. It's when she loses to Julia Budd. She then takes four years off. So she was 4-0, beating four 0-0 opponents, signed to Bellator, brought in as cannon fodder, lost a decision, got grinded on, took four years off, came back in 2019, won on, PFL, on a PFL show at 155 pounds. 
and then was supposed to fight Sarah Kaufman. She missed weight at 155 pounds. So cut from PFL, and now she's with Bellator, and it's been it's been two years since the PFL fight. So effectively, she's had one fight since 20, the 2015 fight with Julia Budd, and it was a win over a 3-5 and five opponent at 55. So this fight's at 45. So she just missed weight at 55 the last time. I don't think she's great at making weight. Sorensen's 35. That was a red flag. But this girl's 33. She's not defeated all of those UFC veterans. She's not mixed it up with some of the sport's best fighters. She's not a former Invicta world champion. And she's had one fight in the last five years. And it was, and it was against a 3-5 and five opponent. So why would you want any fucking part of that? But it's women's MMA, and I can see it being a lot greasier than it needs to be. But at minus 146, Pam Sorensen is the play. Hopefully she gets it done. We're not going to have too much on her because, again, the reasons I've explained. But, uh, yeah, I don't see why she goes out there and doesn't get this victory. Moving on, because we've had a couple canceled fights. Moving on, we officially got Justin Montalvo versus Kendley Lewis. It's going to be another big favorite status for Montalvo, who comes in at minus 235. Kendley Lewis plus 188. Again, I mean, Bellator is trying to advance one guy in their career and the other guy they know where he's at. Uh, Montalvo's 2-0. He's at a Matt Serra's gym over in New York with, um, you know, Ray Longo, Matt Serra, all the guys, really, Chris Wyman, Al Jermaine, you know, the whole cast of characters. And he looks to be in fairly good shape. Comes in here. Uh, he's 2-0 as a pro, was knocked out both of those opponents, once in the first round, once in the second round. It looks like he's developing a game. He's a solid enough grappler. His striking is coming good. He's pretty good shape physically, but he's just young in his career at 2-0, and he's going through the building blocks. Kenley Lewis, meanwhile, he's out of Florida, and it just doesn't seem like he's really uh, gotten much momentum in his career. I mean, looking at the tape on him, he seems to be a tight bit, tad bit chinny, and also whenever he takes on any type of uh, – step up in competition he just falters almost immediately he doesn't also seem to have great cardio i mean the two fights that he's had that have gone to decision he lost both decisions and then in the last two fights for titan fc a legit organization he got knocked out in the second round by mike Lilly, and then knocked out in the first round or sorry the second round again by slava borchev both of those fights he's noticeably slowing down so you've got a guy here that's got six pro fights versus a guy that's two pro fights he's got the experience he's mixed it up with a slightly better level level of competition and he has fought under a few bright lights before but i would say that justin montalvo is out of a better camp i mean he's again he's going through the building blocks he's creating himself a better fighter the one worry though again because he's a minus 235 favorite is as an amateur and this isn't all that long ago it's 2018 he got knocked out by a two and five fighter knocked out in the first round that same two and five fighter had also beaten him in his debut when the guy was one and three so that guy had his number and that guy actually knocked him out in the first round so is he himself chinny? I don't know. We haven't really seen him get chin checked. But in a fight coming in there with Kenley Lewis, Kenley Lewis is in pretty good shape. He's got six pro fights. So he's got the experience advantage. <laughs> and of his wins, he's got two of them by knockout, including one in the first round. I, they're all bum opponents. Listen, again, I think this is another one where it's spot on that Justin Montalvo probably is going to win this fight. Bellator would like Justin Montalvo to win this fight. But at minus 235, he's a 2-0, and very green fighter. We don't know enough about him to have confidence that he's actually good. We just have enough confidence that he's better than this guy he's fighting. So he'll be lower on the PRPs, but Justin Montalvo is going to be the play. Sebastian Ruiz versus Jeffrey Glosner. Uh, you've got Jeffrey Glosner coming as a minus 240 favorite against Sebastian Ruiz at plus 192. This one, again, it, it's pretty much the exact same case. Is Jeff Glosner the better fighter? Yeah, should be. Um, but you just don't know. So the one thing with Glosner is that let's just really talk about his 
Bellator debut. So he comes into Bellator, he's 2-1, he takes on Jalon Bates. Now, Jalon Bates is a problem. This guy is a legitimate prospect. Looks like he's got a superstar potential in his future. He looks like a really green A.J. McKee. Like, he's got the fundamentals and that long frame to do something, but A.J. McKee fought for Bellator for five years and racked up 17 fights before people figured out who he was. Bates could be the same thing. I mean, slow, steady, keep working on your craft, get a lot better. I didn't think Glosner looked all that bad against Bates. Glossner also comes from a clean wrestling background, but against Bates, he was just outgunned. On the ground, it looked like he was scrappy. It looked like he was knew what he was doing. Again, he was just outgunned by Jalen Bates. But watching that fight, and I'm all in on Bates. Yeah, we won. Yeah, but it wasn't a walk in the park. You know, Glossner actually looked like he had some legitimate skills. Bellator will sign guys to one fight deal. So that was his one fight deal. After that, he does get released. He goes back onto the regional scene, takes on the Scott Dixon, who's a bum, and he submits him in the second round, right? Does what he needs to do. Fair enough. Now Bellator calls calling again. He's coming into this spot with Ruiz, and Ruiz is not, he's a Peruvian striker, you know, a decent enough kickboxer, but he's not a wrestler. And I would say that Glossner's collegiate wrestling background should be enough to go out there, secure these takedowns, outgrapple him on the ground. It looked like his cardio was pretty on point, so I don't think three rounds should be a problem. But at minus 240, he should just absolutely go out there and walk right through him. I think when you consider he's got a winning record and a collegiate wrestling background, it's a neat, it's easy to fade a guy that's two and three. And really hasn't shown you much. But Sebastian Ruiz isn't a complete walkover. So this kid hit my radar back in 2018. He fought in, in Montreal. I guess it was outside of Montreal. But it was in Quebec, Canada at uh, TKO 43. He comes in 1-0. and Nobody from Peru with a striking background. 1-0. and Ends up in Quebec taking on Jesse Arnett. Now Jesse Arnett's 14-4. and he was offered a Aljamain Sterling fight in the UFC, or he was offered a couple fights in the UFC. Both times he couldn't get out of his own TKO deal. He's a two-time, like a two-division world champion in Canada. I shouldn't say world champion, but Canadian champion. He's a stud. He wrestled collegiately out in Alberta. He's got a BJJ black belt. He's got very strong submission game. Hell, he's beating guys like Derek Minner by first-round submission. The guy attacks the neck. He's coming off a fight with Ray Borg his last time out, where he went to the decision in Abu Dhabi. The guy's an absolute stud. And this Ruiz kid at 1-0 came over and fought 14-4 Jesse Arnett. Made no sense. Made no sense, but he did. And I'll be honest, in the first round, he didn't look all that bad. He's a better striker than Arnett. Arnett was playing with his food. In the second round, Arnett says, screw it. Takes him down. Catches the neck. Chokes him out. The next time I seen him at TKO, he takes on Louis Jourdain. Well, Louis Jourdain is the younger brother of Charles Jourdain. Charles Jourdain, of course, currently in the UFC. So Louis not a walkover as well. That's a good fight, but Louis beats him. And then his last fight, Mike Kimball for Bellator. Kimball's a bust, but was supposed to be a highly touted prospect that Bellator had a ton of faith in. In fact, I would imagine they don't have a line for it. But Ruiz, but it came in as a big underdog in that spot as well. And he loses a competitive split decision. So that's kind of the thing with Ruiz. He's always brought in to lose, right? And yet he always does a lot better than you think he's going to do. He did a lot better against Jesse Arnett than I thought he was going to do. He did a lot better against Louis Jordan than I thought he was going to do. He did a lot better against Mike Kimball than I thought he was going to do. So now against Jeff Glosner, it's like Glosner should be able to go out there with the wrestling. It's, it, it's wrestler versus kickboxer. So Glosner should be able to go get the takedowns, hold him down, out grind him on the ground. But if Glosner starts to get fatigued at any point and he's, this fight gets backstanding, Ruiz is going to be all over him. And at a low level, a guy with five fights, we see it all the time. He's got a wrestling advantage. He goes out there, and after the first round, he's tired. And now the takedowns become sloppy. 
and now it's a sloppy brawl and the sloppy brawler on the other side of plus money comes through and wins. So initially I want to make Ruiz my first underdog shot on the card. Again, what do we got all favorites at this point? A lot of them are big favorites. Somebody's going to shit in the apple pie and at minus 240, even though I don't mind Glosner, I was thinking, geez, man, that might be the guy. But I, I, I'm still I'm still a little 50-50 on that one. If I don't make that one the official underdog play, the last fight on the card, Orlando Mendoza versus John McNeil, that one will be our first underdog play. Orlando Mendoza is a minus-136 favorite. John McNeil is a plus-110. Again, it's basically a dogger pass situation. But with this Orlando Mendoza, not a big fan of his work. He seems to have some decent power in his hands, but comes out of a weak enough regional scene over in New York. He was 3-0 as an amateur. This is officially his professional debut. When you look at him against this, like, Dale Menendez, guys clearly have juice, by the way, he just doesn't look great. He's got salty pepper hair, even though he's only 30 years old. Uh, he's a good counter puncher, and he seems relaxed. He seems to have some natural punching power in that right hand, but he just looks like he's ready to get exposed. And then in his, in his next fight as an amateur against this uh, Mike Basile, who's 3-3, three and three, he squeaks up a split decision. I, I just don't think he's the most talented guy going, and yet he's having a Bellator debut here at as a favorite again he's out of a smaller team in new york and just not a huge fan of him this john mcneil again we can shit on a lot of his body of work as well but looking at the tape <laughs> this guy's big man this guy's big and he looks to be in pretty good shape he's super top heavy like you know his upper body's a lot bigger than his lower body but uh he appears to be a big guy this fight is scheduled to be at 185 pounds men sorry it's a catchweight of 195 that's even more interesting to me this fight is a catchweight of 195 Orlando Mendoza has competed at 185, so he's going to be the smaller guy, six foot 185. When you look at this John McNeil, his last fight was a catchweight of 195, right? The fight before that, catchweight of 195 again. Who gives these guys all these catchweights of 195? But they're doing it for him because he can't make 85. Too big for that. The fight before that, would you know it, 205, and almost all the fights before that one, 205. So he's a he's a big dude, and as a 205er, he still looked big. Now that he's fighting at catchweights of 195, he looks pretty big. And this is a fight at 195. They're doing it for him. Hey, man, can you fight at 85? No, I can't make that. Well, what about 205? I don't really want to. What about 195? They're doing it for him. Whereas Orlando, he's the one that's going to be coming up and giving up those 10 pounds. When you watch Orlando, he's a southpaw. Uh, actually, he's orthodox, and uh, John McNeil's a southpaw. He looks like he's a little more fluid, but he's a smaller guy in there. And even though he does have that natural counterpunching shot, He's going to be giving up length and size, I believe, to McNeil. McNeil is the southpaw. And when you look at the tape on him, we'll, we'll just talk about the last two fights because really, who gives a fuck? He's just a, he's another guy coming in here making his debut as a 3-2 and two amateur. But the last two fights, Tommy Lee Davis, split decision, Keenan Williams. This Tommy Lee Davis fight loses a split. He looks awful. Oh, this guy is stiff. He is robotic. In the left hand, you see it coming from a mile out. He does not look particular. He's built. He looks good physically. But, like, as far as the skill goes, like, not refined at all. He does win the fight. Or, sorry, he loses the fight by split decision. I would probably agree with the assessment that he did lose the fight. It wasn't the world's worst performance. Is that he did not look like an advanced fighter in the slightest sense of the word. His very next fight, which happened nearly a year later against Kanan Willis, he knocks out Kanan Willis in the first round. And I will admit... He was using his weapons a lot better. He seemed a lot faster with his hands. That straight left down the pipe, awesome. You could hear his boxing coach the entire time, and they had a lot of faith in him. Touch him up, touch him up, touch him up. Pick your shots. Pretty much everything he was landing was money, but he wasn't just throwing the straight left. He'd throw the straight left and then a right hook right behind it. So, again, you can see his boxing technique evolving in real time. Eight months prior against Tommy Lee Davis, he can't box for shit. 
And yet, eight months later, he's actually putting together two-piece boxing combinations. Fine. But that's his last fight, and it's in 2018. So he has not fought in three years, and he's coming in here as a 30-year-old man. I am going to take the crack that over those last three years, he's been in the gym. He's been making improvements. I know he's going to show up to the scales tomorrow and be looking good. What's tomorrow? Tomorrow's Thursday. He's going to show up. Yeah, yeah. He's going to show up to the scales tomorrow looking good. can guarantee you that. Um it's whether or not he's made progression in the gym. The guy that we saw the last time out could give Orlando Mendoza problems, but Mendoza would probably slip something, counter him with the right hand and put him down. The guy that could make improvements in the gym, come back here, use those southpaw tricks, use that size advantage, lean on this guy, and he comes out of a gym that's known kind of for their grappling as well. So I haven't really seen a ton out of him in the grappling department, but apparently he's got a decent submission game. All of that plays out for, like, why not take a shot on the underdog? So, sadly enough, he's only a plus 110. Did the line – did we miss the line? Oh, my God, we totally missed the line. He was a plus 185 to open, and you can get him at right at this very moment at plus 110. So, we fucked up. We missed the line. Well, I didn't fuck up. I mean, I just did the show late in the week, I suppose. The people that did get it at plus 185, you're probably seeing the same thing I'm seeing. Good on you. You got yourself a nice little uh, dog. We're going to get a slight dog. Would have been felt a lot better at plus 185, but – Say la vie, what can you do? So unfortunately, we have nine fights. We can go with eight favorites and one underdog, this being the one underdog. You could maybe take Ruiz as that dog number two, but I mean, the, the confidence is just not quite there. To build up a quick parlay so that you don't got to wait for Friday and miss even more lines, I would put Gegard Mousasi at the top because it's main event. We could always hedge out of that. I'm feeling like you put Korshkov. I'm feeling like you put Magomedov. And that right there gets you plus 102. Those are your top guys. Below that, you are going to go with, I would say, Davion Franklin, and we would add. It's definitely going to start getting dicey for sure. I want to go Pam Sorensen. I just don't know if that's the move. You're getting plus 188 before you got to get real greasy, but then you're going to have to get real greasy. At that point, you know what? I would I would probably end up going Davion Franklin, and I would take the shot on this Ty Gordon, even though I don't like it. We're getting forced into it. That gives you three to one. From there, you can add Pam Sorensen and Justin Montalvo, which give you plus 857. And then from there, you've only got two shots left. So if you were to go Glosner and John McNeil, you're looking at a plus 2700, which we hit a plus 2700 on a Friday night bell tour. We're going to be super happy with that. Uh, and if you dropped Glosner and you went Ruiz and John McNeil, then you're looking at a plus 5,700. So, you know, infinitely better price. I got a feeling that one of these bum fights at the bottom is going to be the one that hits. And luckily for us, those are the early fights in the card. I don't suggest that people chase their losses. But again, if for whatever reason you were to go too high on something early and it was to lose, your key plays are going to be later on in the night. That's where the majority of your investment is going to be. So the Bellator recap or the Bellator preview, sorry, is obviously on Mayo Media Network, sponsored by DraftKings. Shout out to DraftKings. But if you want the PFL, oh, it's so greasy. I don't even want to do it, but I will. It's going to be over on CJ MMA. And then maybe that's the move this week. Maybe the move is instead of taking a lot of that PFL card, which is so greasy, probably got some, some stinky business going on. But maybe we just parlay some of the ones that we actually do like in with some of these Bellator plays and can juice it up even a little bit better. So hopefully I helped you with anything. If it was something you didn't know about one of these fighters or just my take on something, or if you want to tag along, I will be tweeting out the official parlays come Friday. Also Bellator, because there's no UFC especially, they're probably going to release props. And if they're going to release props, then sweet. Why not have a, a shot at that as well? So I'll keep my eye open. If you've got any questions, if a line comes by your 
your site or if you see something or if you have any advice for me or you notice something that I didn't or comments, concerns, questions, whatever. I'd love if they were in the comment section because it helps Pat out. And, you know, that's just a good reflection on me. But other than that, you can hit me up on uh, Twitter at CJMMA. And, uh, yeah, I'd be happy to help you with anything you may need. So catch you guys on Friday, Bellator 264. Let's hopefully make it a good one. Bellator traditionally has been really good for us. So let's hopefully keep those positive chalky parlay vibes going. Till the next time, good luck. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.